what's so exciting for me is that particularly after the the lockdowns and COVID, um, whether you're a hotelier, whether you're a um, fish and chip shop, whether you're a performing artist, we really want everyone to get involved with World Pride and take something from it. And I often use with my team the phrase when where all boats rise. So there's something for everyone and everyone can benefit from it. Welcome to the Neon Grid Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Rodriguez. In the late 90s, I was wandering around Sydney Olympic Park, wearing out work boots as a training engineer, building the railway out to the site that would ultimately go on to host the best games ever in 2000. For any city, an event like the Olympics is a real catalyst, a game changer. And here in old Sydney town, the games are exactly that. They ushered in a new period of growth, of optimism, of ambition. Today's guest is Kate Wickett, CEO of Sydney World Pride, which kicks off on the 17th of February next year and runs through to the 5th of March. Built as the largest event to be held in Sydney since the Olympics, I'm excited by the potential for this global festival to excite and engage Sydney siders and visitors alike. Don't be mistaken, this isn't just a slightly bigger Mardi Gras. It's a truly global event featuring opening and closing ceremonies, a pride march across our famous bridge, and a human rights conference, amongst many other things. With Kylie Minogue headlining the opening gig, the festival is going to be one hell of a party come February. But I'm equally interested to understand from Kate what the legacy of World Pride in Sydney will be, how this event will shape Sydney's DNA and its going out culture. It's my great pleasure to have Kate Wickett on the Neon Grid podcast. Welcome, Kate. Hey, Michael. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. And I'm excited to see you. And I don't just say that to all my guests. In fact, the last guest who was on wasn't that excited. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm very pleased to meet you. I would say, do people often ask you whether you have the best job in the world? They do. And my answer is I absolutely do. Um, I have been, I came out when I was 16 in a small country town called Adelaide. Mm. And, (laughs) and, uh, so I've been volunteering in this space since I was about 17, actually, but I'm, you know, a recovering corporate lawyer. As am I. Yeah, I know, I know. So you must have the best job in the world as well. I like it when I meet people who will argue over who's got a better job, but I'm, 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 I'm willing to respect the, um, that may not be a, an absolute in this case, but I'm pretty chuffed with what I do. Look, I just think the job for me is the perfect intersection of my kind of corporate and commercial career with my volunteering um, commitments over the last, you know, 25 years. So, um, I mean, who wouldn't be excited to run lots of big parties and meet lots of interesting people? The thing that I love too about my job is that um, we've almost got 50 people now at World Pride Mm. um, and the team is just incredible. Uh, The team are uh, bright, enthusiastic, from very varied backgrounds. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty chuffed with, with what we're doing and get to meet with people like you. You've been a lawyer in your past. You've worked as festival director, volunteer, and hmm. been on boards and so forth, but probably there was no grand plan to do this, but here you are. Like, Do you reflect on where you started and where you've ended up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in Adelaide and then, um, you know, it wasn't, Back in those days, you know, uh, 
you know, I often reflect on how we as a society have changed over the last, so I'm, I'm 41, so um, how we've changed over the last 25 years um, from a LGBTQ space, and we have come leaps and bounds in my, in my out lifetime. I, I remember having a girlfriend uh, when I was about 18, and there's no way you'd hold each other's hands walking down the street. Um, and that's just changed significantly, and so... Um, I think particularly in the last 10 years, there's been a seismic change for, you know, diversity, inclusion, um, people um, expressing themselves and feeling comfortable um, to express themselves. Is everything perfect? No, it's not. But it has changed fundamentally. And I, I think so growing up in Adelaide, um, I always wanted to be a lawyer. And I think that came from a sense of equity and equality. So um, what I saw as injustice or whether it be whether it be gay people or um, people of colour or people from lower, lower socioeconomic backgrounds. I always felt that I wanted to have, I had this sense of justice and, you know, um, protecting people, I think. So um, that's why I went into the law. Um, weirdly, though, I started my, my career as a banking and finance law, so, a lawyer. So Help me. What type of banking and finance? Let's really put the listeners yeah. to sleep. I, too, was a banking and finance no lawyer. No way. Way, way, way. Oh, well, that that clearly didn't last very long. And <laughs> because I was making rich people richer, right, and you're pushing a lot of papers around and um, what I think uh, has really um, been fantastic, though, is that I have been volunteering since I was 17. And I actually spoke on a panel a couple of days ago about this very fact. If you haven't volunteered, you don't know what you're missing. I just, I think there's so much to, you know, you meet wonderful people. Um, you have an opportunity to see different things that you would never see in your corp or in your day job. Um and yeah, the sense of helping others is actually really fulfilling. Um, so I'm a, I always find it a bit bizarre actually when people don't volunteer and that might just be, you know, volunteering in the local canteen of your kid's school or um, coaching the soccer club or, you know, it doesn't have to be on boards. Um, I've been on a few boards, um, but I've also, you know, worked in soup kitchens or, you know, gone out and um, handed out pamphlets or what, whatever it might be. I, I just think that... Um, yeah, it's a really a really good way to meet different people and to kind of get a bit of empathy for other things that are going on in the world. So yeah. that's kind of a, a long story of... It was a tangent, but I think partly it's because of the world, et cetera, and, mm. and moving in the circles that you and I do. Mm. Um, and I sit at tables often and have this discussion and I kind of get impatient these days and I'm like, well, you can what are we doing? Like, and even if it doesn't, isn't going to fix the whole thing, you can move a little bit along. And I think that that, you know, in terms of the work that we're trying to do under our strategy and mm. partly how you and I've connected, um, has been in a, at least looking at maybe different sides of the same coin for how World Pride might fit uh, and make a contribution far beyond the 17 day festival that it is. And, and that very much is around those principles of inclusion, access, what opportunities does this create for engagement with community and not, not like community. All in, communities. In, in all communities. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think you've hit the nail on the head I, to your point earlier about, I think what we're really talking about is legacy, right? So yeah. the thing that excites me about this, um, 17 day festival is that, um, people often ask me, what does success look like for the festival, right? And so for me, success is 
anyone can come to Sydney World Pride, anyone, LGBTQI or otherwise, could come to Sydney World Pride and they see themselves in at least one of our programs or one of our events. Because to me, that we must reflect the community we live in, and that is all parts of our community. Yes, we are an LGBTQI festival, and really proud to say that um, we have... I, I'm not aware of an LGBT festival in the world that is going to be this big. Um, you know, we've got our 15 major key events, then we've got... We're about to announce in November our 60 um, arts and cultural events that are anything from theatre, plays, dance, performance, and then a 300 open access festival. So, you know, I think the legacy is I'm really keen for everyone to, um, for want of a better phrase, make some money from World Pride. I employ artists, uh, get people out um, eating at pubs, eating at restaurants, um, employ the drag queens, employ the the musicians who have been, you know, struggling for the last couple of years, um, get people in hotels, get people travelling out to the Blue Mountains. So I really hope that people, you know, economically thrive through this. But, you know, that social connection and social interaction that people have when they come together and unite can't be underestimated. I mean, I think Australians love being outdoors. We love going to events. Um, and I'm just really excited about bringing everyone together and, and celebrating. Should we do a bit of the vital statistics on it? Just yeah, because sure. I think that it is really useful for people to understand 17 days, uh, six events coming. Do you want to just give us the yeah, I'll give you the, I'll give you the key t- uh, key data points. Yeah, can you? Yeah, sure. Um, so actually, when we bid to host World Pride back in 2019, I um, did a piece of work with Deloitte Access Economics, who were really fantastic. That's a good plug there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, they no, also, they, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're also our partner, which you no, know, has been really good. And I mean, to the point earlier about volunteering, we couldn't have done this without pro bono help from a whole raft of different organisations, right? So, I think it's important to acknowledge corporates that do a lot of pro bono work. Um, But we did some um, analysis with Deloitte and the stats are that it's expected that we have 1.1 to 1.3 million people participate in Sydney World Pride next year. So that's over 17 days. It's starting on uh, February the uh, 17th and it goes until March the 5th. So that's a Sunday. What we do know is that um, in a typical year for Mardi Gras and Probably important to note because one of the other questions I get all the time is, what's the difference between World Pride and Mardi Gras? So very simply, um, back in 2019, I was the co-chair of Mardi Gras, which was a a voluntary role. I had a day job. I was at Combank at the time. (laughs) Couldn't be more different. (laughs) Yeah, which bank. And uh, so that's a voluntary role. And we bid, a small group of us volunteers um, wrote the bid to host uh, World Pride in Sydney. And so it's like the Olympics. You have to bid for it. Um, we, um, we're really fortunate that the New South Wales, ga- New South Wales government gave us some small seed funding. And so we, Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, bid to host and we ran a whole process. We ran a, a bid document and then we presented it to effectively in the Olympics, you have the IOC. And so in uh, the pride world, we have Interpride, which is the International Organisations of Prides. Pardon me. And we went to Athens and where the annual general meeting was, and we competed against Montreal and Houston. 
and we were very fortunate that we won. We were very much the underdog to Montreal, in fact, because they'd been working on the bid for so much longer than we had. Um, and, geez, their bid budget was about four times the size of ours. Interesting interesting fun fact, Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's electorate is Montreal. Right. So that he was very keen to win. And so I think what won it for us was, well, when I say ordinary, I mean, for, for us, we... We, we looked at what our differentiators were to Montreal, right? And the first, and we, and we stuck to those differentiators. We stuck to our key messaging. And I think that's a really, um, a really positive thing to say about the team who worked on it because we were quite disciplined um, in saying, well, what are, our, what are our key messages? Why, why Sydney? Um, and the first key message was that World Pride is a global event and it had never, ever been held in the Southern Hemisphere. And so for us, our, our key message was, if you want to be a world event or a global event, you need to be a global event. So um, the other thing was Mardi Gras has been around for 45 years. We run an incredible nighttime curated parade. And in fact, a lot of people don't know this, but Mardi Gras is the only nighttime curated pride parade in the world. Um, we often, we have more spectators than participants. Um, and so that's a pretty strong value proposition. I mean, yeah. anyone who's been to that parade, just, it, you know, it's fantastic. So th- they're pretty good reasons why we won. And the other thing that, the other real reason I think we won was that we really wanted to shine a light on our First Nations history here in Australia. Mm-hmm. Having travelled the world, um, uh, for the for the six months in the lobbying phase uh, prior to the vote in August 2019, what had become really clear is that still lots of people don't know a lot about Australia and they certainly don't know about our First Nations culture. So I think that was a really, um, a really good thing to highlight. And to my point about uh, Montreal being pretty ordinary, they focused on the fact that they do have a brilliant pride but that's what they focused on. Yeah. They focused on the party elements um, and we focused on the more kind of systemic, cultural and social elements, I think. For us, we, we can run a great party and we'll run lots of great parties next year, but the Human Rights Conference, the First Nations components, the Asia-Pacific components, I think, really moved the needle for us. It's interesting because I'm kind of sidetracked, but in asking what won it, it kind of teases out what sort of sits at the heart of what we'll make, yeah. what to expect and what we can hopefully contribute to make success. Yeah. Um, do, do you think we've covered off enough of, so you've, you've covered well, off. The, I can you, give you some more stats. Yeah. yeah. So there's the, um, you were talking about the, um, the difference between Mardi Gras and World Pride. And yeah. Maybe just top of yeah. the So Mardi Gras bid to host World Pride and we had always said that if we do win World Pride, what we'll do is we'll create a new organisation, so Sydney World Pride Limited, because it will be a special purpose vehicle for the sole design and delivery, the sole purpose for the design and delivery of 2023. Mardi Gras has been around for 45 years and back then it still had seasons 21 and 22 to deliver. Yep. And so we said... Let Mardi Gras continue on and do its main thing, but also compartmentalising risk, I suppose. Yep. So set up a new organisation. So we have a very strong MOU with Mardi Gras. Um, and after World Pride next year, we will dissolve, so probably cease to exist towards the back end of next year. And any of the assets that we have or anything left over will just be folded back into Mardi Gras. So for the year 2023, the average punter will be attending Sydney World Pride 2023. 
all of the amazing Mardi Gras events that currently occur and that people have come to know and love will still occur next year, but they'll effectively subsume up into World Pride. And so um, for the average punter coming from overseas, they'll know that they're at a Mardi Gras or a traditional Mardi Gras event because it will be co-branded. Yeah. So... So that makes sense. And then in terms of some of the other components of World Pride then, parties, yep. uh, human rights conference, what are the So else? under the license with Interpride, we have to deliver four key events. They are the opening ceremony, closing ceremony, a human rights conference and a Pride March. Now under that, our um, fantastic Oxford Street March um, on the Saturday night, um, which is really a parade, it qualified for that category. However... We thought we'd do one more. And so in addition to the Saturday night Mardi Gras parade, we have also managed to close the Sydney Harbour Bridge. What? Um, Yeah, I know. Uh, And so on the the last day of the event, and I'll I'll run through the the days quickly in a moment, but the last day of the event, um, we're closing the bridge and 50,000 people will march over Sydney Harbour Bridge in what will be uh, just an incredible display, visual display of solidarity. So, I mean, can you imagine the iconic photos that will will yeah. be boomed around the world, which is just so great for Sydney. I mean, it's such a beautiful, wonderful city. Um, but to your point, so we have what we do know, and go back, going back to statistics, um, every year we know that Mardi Gras has between 600 and 800,000 um, participants. Of that, of that group, there are 16% generally are from internationals or overseas, and of that 16%, 25% are from North America. The next closest after North America is um, the UK at about 18%. Yep. So our key target market's North America and the UK. We also get quite a few people in from Asia, Hong Kong, Singapore. And interestingly, in the last couple of years, the other, sp- the other spot that has really popped up and we've been getting a lot of um, tourism from is Brazil. Um, uh, some of you may know that there's actually quite a burgeoning um, gay Brazilian population here in Sydney. So, um, you know, the, the the boys from Brazil love, love their parties. So, um, great. So what we do know is because those internationals can only take generally two weeks leave a year, um, we have bookended or kind of smashed yep. together Got all it. the big events in a nine-day period. Uh-huh. So the whole festival goes for 17 days, but the key dates or the, you know, the major events are in nine days, bookended by the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony, of course, both of which will be held at the Domain. So... Um, uh, during that week, we have opening ceremony. Then the next day, we've got the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras up Oxford Street and the after party. Um, then we've got another party in the Domain on the Sunday. And then Monday, we have um, uh, the opening of the Interpride reception. So we're hosting a big reception at Town Hall. We've got the First Nations Gathering Space, which is a, a full takeover of carriage works for six days, highlighting our First Nations culture here in Australia, but also First Nations cultures from other uh, other countries. We have a First Nations um, gala at the Sydney Opera House. And um, interestingly, our First Nations creative director is referring to that as the Black Met Gala. So... Uh, I think that'll be, speaking of black tie earlier, I think, yeah, right. <laughs> I think that'll be great. And then the the key, and actually this is perhaps um, perhaps surprising to some people, but again, why we won. 
We knew that we could put on lots of parties, but what we really wanted to do was shine a light on all of the work that we've done to date, but all of the work that we've got to do for our LGBT community. And so the Human Rights Conference is a three full day conference at the ICC here in Darling Harbour, 1,500 people a day. Um, we wanted this to be more than just an academic human rights conference because, you know, there's a lot of com complex and difficult conversations that are going to occur. But by virtue of that, some of those are really kind of esoteric and not accessible to a lot of people. So, um, you know, I went to South by Southwest earlier this year. I've been saying for a couple of years, we really want to make this immersive and interactive and accessible, not just in terms of whether it be price point or physical accessibility, but intellectual accessibility as well. So that, um, you know, we can, we can break down some of these difficult conversations and make them, um, make them easier for people to participate in. So, um, we will have performers at that conference. We'll have politicians, we'll have um, government, we'll have corporate, we'll have community, activists, civil society. Um, I went to the Human Rights Conference at Copenhagen World Pride and what was fascinating to me was um, while their conference really set the, the bar um, and they went for three days, they segmented all of those groups. So one day was corporate, one day was government and one day was community. Um, and never did the twain meet. And that just, to me, I think if you, you want to... create silos, don't you? Yeah, silos. If you want to change the law, you've got to have the lawmakers in the room. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm, not that I'm tired of listening to you, but there's more though, because I believe that Oxford Street's getting shut <laughs> and that there's some villages happening. Like, tell us about those. Yeah, yeah. So um, we've got all these events. And in fact, two years ago when we were looking at these events, I thought to myself, God, there's going to be so many people coming here. I'm not sure we've got enough spaces and particularly because Sydney, you know, um, you know, they always talk about the lo the lockouts and the lockdowns. I thought, well, what are we going to be able to? Where where are all these people going to go if they're not at these events? And so, in fact, it was one of the people in my team who came up with this concept about Pride Villages. And ironically, he's from Montreal. Oh, there we go. And ha and and in Montreal, they um, closed down their streets. And so we came up with this concept of Pride Villages, where um, you know, if you're not at an event or you can't afford to go to an event, we'll put on a free event and a, and create this sense of kind of community hub where we'll close down Crown Street and Riley Street from Oxford to Campbell and have people, you know, that put on some free performances, have food trucks, have um, all the different pubs and bars and restaurants open um, so people can congregate and have music and, you know, it's family friendly. And most importantly, it's all free. So Pride Villages is for not the full nine days of that, you know, open to closing. But the real kicker is on the last weekend, so you will have just come on the Saturday, you'll have gone to the Bondi Beach Party on the Saturday night. Everyone might be a bit dusty on the Sunday morning, but the only time you can close the Sydney Harbour Bridge is on the Sunday morning early. Right. So the first marchers start marching across the bridge at 7am and then they march across the bridge and um, Oxford Street uh, will be their thoroughfare because on the last two days we are closing Oxford Street as well as the two um, perpendicular streets from uh, Hyde Park all the way up to Taylor Square. So a real hub and a real place for people to come and eat, drink, um, celebrate, unite, watch some music, have something to eat. So, yeah. 
So that's a wonderful overview. And I think um, I wanted to put myself in the position of a business owner or mm. someone um, who might be thinking, oh, this is amazing. How do I get involved? I may not be proximate, for example, to uh, Oxford Street or Crown and Riley, um, but is there things that I could do? What would you say to that question? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, a couple of things on that. We uh, have run a program called Pride Amplified, which is the open access um, part of the festival. And so we've had lots of, whether it be restaurants or bars or community groups from all around New South Wales, not just Sydney, but New South Wales, um, come to us and say, we want to be a part of World Pride. We're running this event can you promote us through your website? And so, as you know, our selection criteria is pretty basic. As long as you kind of sign up to our values, you know, it could be drag bingo out in Newtown or it could be drag bingo out in Parramatta or it could be a long lunch up in um, Dubbo or somewhere. Um, lots of community groups are doing community um, activations. So there's a, there's a role f- and a place for everyone at World Pride. So I, I'd say look at Pride Amplified. It's on our website. Um, but the other thing I would say is that what we do know is that not everyone wants to um, go to lots of parties or drink up Oxford Street. What we do know is that there are other parts of Sydney that people want to explore over in Manly, um, out in the inner west, um, out, in, out in the west, um, whether it be, you know, go hiking in the Blue Mountains um, or go down, go down the coast for a day or up to Newcastle. So um, I think there is absolutely a way for people to be involved. And um, as I mentioned earlier, what's so exciting for me is that particularly after the the lockdowns and COVID, um, whether you're a hotelier, whether you're a um, fish and chip shop, whether you're a performing artist, we really want everyone to get involved with World Pride and take something from it. And I often use with my team the phrase, when where all boats rise. So there's something for everyone and everyone can benefit from it. I'm going to just try and address this issue head on. And I hope I don't screw it up. But like, <laughs> it, the thing I'm trying to say to people is that it it's a major event, but uh, another way to think about it is visitors coming to Sydney and they will want to explore Sydney. And uh, think about yourself when you're going to a festival overseas. Mm-hmm. You don't just go to see the festival, you'll mm-hmm. wander the streets and so forth. And uh and so I kind of encourage, um, you know, the going out economy, all our stakeholders to, uh, think about how to, um, you know, in, in elevate their offerings, think about what people might be wanting to do, mm-hmm. fine dining restaurants will be full, I imagine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, you know, venues across Newtown, Erskineville, et cetera, that will, I feel that that area will naturally be kind of become a pride village, whether we, it's a pride village today, it will be a provide pride village during pride. And it'll be 100%. Pride go. So, mm. you know, there's, and, and, uh, it's just such a great, <coughs> sorry, such a great opportunity for Sydney to really showcase itself to the world post pandemic. And I feel like, um, we will, uh, let's make the most of the opportunity is what I'd sort of encourage what we're trying to encourage our stakeholders to think about, because mm. it's a bit like in the same way that Sydney benefits from having new year's first, we're having pride first in a way is how I think about it, um, you know, coming out of the pandemic. So this is a big sort of shout out. And I'm sure that like, um, we, we will totally link to websites and pride amplified and all that information. But, um, you know, there's just a really good opportunity to, um, as I say, uh, ext- to, to think about how to, how, how to get involved in the broader sense. Um, 
for yourself, like what, what event are you most looking for? That's probably a bit hard, which is your favorite child, I suppose. But like what, yeah. like what, what, <laughs> which, which bits, which, which bits of it are, are kind of. Oh, look, there's two events that I'm pretty proud of. Um, one is the human rights conference. Yeah. So I mentioned that earlier. Um, we are. Uh, taking a very keen eye on how we curate that. So we've partnered with some community partners. I mean, ultimately, World Pride's an arts and cultural festival, right? We're not we're not a human rights um, uh, organisation, but we've partnered with some human rights experts. So the content and the credibility of the conference is really important to us. But the bringing together that multiplicity of voices, so corporates, government, politicians, community, activists, civil society – that's really important to me because not often are they in the same room and not often for the same kind of purpose or kind of light on the hill. I really do hope that we can make some systemic change out of that conference um, and whether that be simple simple things like, or shouldn't say simple, but, no. you know, some law reform, for example, you know, we've got f- a federalism, um, uh, the benefits of federalism is that we need some laws harmonised across the different states. There's different laws for different people, for, you know, do you know what I mean? So yeah. simple yeah. things like that. I mean, what, everyone thought we got marriage equality, what, what else is there to do? Well, actually, there's a lot to do. So so the Human Rights Conference, and also there's going to be a couple of celebrities pop up at that conference, and I'm pretty keen to hear, uh, you know, we're about to lock in a, quite a famous musician to give their view on a particular issue. So um, I think it's important to hear from, as I said, a multiplicity of voices, not just the academics, not just the pollies, um, but a whole group of people. And then the second one I haven't spoken about actually. And so I, you know, I I love to go out. I love the night time. I've observed that about you. Yes. I feel like that's why we get on so well. Well, I, I've loved to go out for some time. <laughs> to your point earlier, like traveling the world, if you had have said to me, going to traveling the world, going to different prides, um, like that's my dream job. So um, I've been to lots of prides and lots of parties around the world. Uh and there's one thing that's quite common to, to all of those, and that as, as, a, as a lesbian, um, women and lesbians have always been an afterthought if there's something for us mm. at all. Mm. And so I'm just sick of going to shit women's parties. <laughs> like, and so um, the event that I'm really proud of is called Ultraviolet, and it is uh, unashamedly a uh, it's it's catered for women. Now it's an event for everyone, so men are more than welcome. Um, but it is it, it's at Sydney Town Hall for two and a half thousand people. It's curated by Sydney's own amazing Sveta, a DJ and performer. She's she's been the fabric of Sydney's queer culture for twenty five years. Sveta and um, Jess Hill, also her production name is um, Estee Lauder. And so the two of them, there isn't any musician in Australia really that those two don't know. Um, so they're curating it for us. Wow. And every performer is a woman. And can I tell you, as of about this afternoon, there was about 80 tickets left. So yeah. it was one of our biggest sellers. And I, I'm just so proud of that event because we're actually tipping in some good money and we're curating it properly. We're giving it time. Um, I know lots of my boyfriends are going because they can't wait to see it. Uh, and it's going to be a world first. I do not know another pride in the world that is going to have a dedicated women's event like this. So I'm pretty proud of that. And I think Jess and Sveta have done an outstanding job in curating it. And, you know, 
my view is if we can hire or pay an extra artist, we will. Everything we make gets invested back into the um, into the community. And so, yeah, I think ultraviolet's going to be – well, it's it's the first of its kind that I'm aware of in That's, the world. So. Well, sounds amazing. I've got uh, at least one or two quick follow-ups. Um, one is a bit, bit of a tangent. Well, look, is there anything that's really keeping you awake at night with worry or like, you know, yep. tension points? Like- yeah, there's two things that keep me awake. Um, and the two things have, have been pretty much the same for the last year. One is, and the first one that always comes to mind, is meeting community expectations. Mm-hmm. When we wrote this bid um, back in 2019, uh, we scraped together the, the bid funding and we ran it on the smell of an oily rag. Um, and when we won in Athens, I remember this vividly because I had on, we had a, a little text message ready to go, uh, yes, we won or no, we didn't. And uh, there are about 15 people on the end of that list um, here in Sydney who are waiting to find out right. and a couple of senior government people and um, a couple of senior corporate people. But basically no one no had one even heard, no one knew, yeah. no one heard about it. I always remember watching the women, the soccer when we won FIFA and watching it then when they were socially distancing, at least you could see them kind of jump up. There's some great imagery actually that I'll have to send on to you about um, someone filmed. We literally only had 12 people in Athens <laughs> sitting around a table and jumping up when we won. But So meeting community expectations because in the last year, particularly after COVID, you know, uh, it was Minister Ayres who quoted that um, Sydney World Pride is the event to reopen Sydney to the world. So to go from a little event that no one knew we were even yeah. kind of put on or bid for to winning it to to being that event, we've come a very long way yeah. in the last two years and I get or two and a half years. And I guess for me, the community expectation is everyone is so desperate to get out and interact and have a festival together and celebrate together. And I really, really want to meet those expectations from a enjoyment perspective. But I also really want to meet their expectations around, to my point earlier, is everyone seen? Is everyone heard? Is there a voice for everyone? Um, Have we brought everyone with us? So I think about that a lot. Obviously, I don't want to disappoint anyone. And of course, then we have our government stakeholders and our corporate stakeholders. But for me, it's around you know, have we left a legacy and have we done this for the community? And you're probably setting like the highest standard, to be honest, like, you know, in your own mind. Yeah. Like, in terms of if you, if you do that and you almost don't need to worry. Well, like, let's, let's hope so. I mean, we've obviously made some, some, um, talent announcements and that that's mm. been taken really well. And we've made talent announcements around our human rights conference and, uh, you know, we've been very specific about curating that. And then the second thing that worries me is around and I'll be really honest about this, is around event delivery. People haven't been delivering big events for a couple of years. Yeah. Yep. Staffing, resourcing. My biggest issue for the last six months has been recruitment and resourcing, and, and that's across the, across, the, across the board for everyone, right? So this is not, you know, unique to Sydney World Pride. You know, finding event producers, um, finding, you know, staff who have got experience, That that's really been, um, you know, you know, quite, quite stressful in, in that, you know, you want to find the right people for the job. Um, and some of, it's been really difficult. 
Yeah. We see that across the board, right? And is there any opportunities to volunteer as well? I don't know. Uh, that's a great, great question. So we spoke earlier about volunteering. So Mardi Gras in its 45 years has always been able to run based on volunteers. So every year, and these stats are quite phenomenal, every year Mardi Gras gets about 1,600 volunteers that help it through its festival. And there's a saying, once a, Mar- once a Mardi Gras volunteer, always a Mardi Gras volunteer. So some of those volunteers have been working with Mardi Gras for 20 years. Wow. Lots of people return. Um, what we know for World Pride is that we need about 3,500 volunteers. And so um, we are working very closely with Mardi Gras. So yes, please, we'd love you to volunteer. In fact, the take-up already has been phenomenal. We've been really lucky. And this is volunteering from, you know, simply handing out pamphlets or, you know, wayfinding with people or people who have got specific skills in, you know, whether it be health, medical, um, traffic management, whatever it might be. Lawyers. lawyers? (laughs) (laughs) Recovering lawyers. Um, So we're working really closely with Mardi Gras on that volunteering. So absolutely, you can do that through our website as well. Um, But yeah, I think... I mean, it's, as I said, it's not unique to Sydney World Pride that recruitment and resourcing has been an issue, um, but it is a real factor because there's a, obviously a lag and a flow-on effect yeah. to everything. But even, you know, agencies, where we work very closely with big event agencies on these different events, um, and I know they've found it hard to find staff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had a meeting with, um, with the police um, a couple of days ago. I mean, we obviously work with whole of government. Know, security firms and hotels yep. and pubs not being able to get sec- the right security or all the staff to open up the the, the bar upstairs. So yep. all of these are real challenges. But what we learnt, and maybe mm. we can finish with this, is that uh, as a I think people have heard me say this before, but I think I was all of twenty years old and I was working on the Olympics. Um, and you know, it, it's amazing what happens in Sydney when people actually get together and collaborate. And I think uh, you know, there's such a good spirit of willing around you mm. and the team. And I think uh, it's incumbent on anyone listening to this who has any influence or resources. Uh, and if you <clears throat> want to see that vision of Sydney come back, don't sit on the sidelines, get involved. Uh, Kate Wickett, it's been wonderful spending some time with you. And I look forward to the debrief uh, at a <laughs> bar close to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate your support. And um, you're right. It's all about the goodwill. I can't wait to see Sydney come alive again. I've lived all around the world in many different big cities and Sydney is absolutely my favourite. It is just such a sensational city. And uh, as a queer person, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Neon Grid podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. To get involved with our efforts to reimagine Sydney's 24-hour economy, sign up to the Neon Grid newsletter. You'll find that on the Investment New South Wales website, which is at investment.nsw.gov.au. Or hit the link in the show notes. You can also follow me, your host, Michael Rodriguez, on LinkedIn. And as always, carpe noctum. <laughs>